1: Wow. Oh, wow. This is, this is like, I, I need to go back to bed and start a new week over.
0: <laughs> oh, she. Recorded live.
1: Scuba Obsessed the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba new news. Scoob Obsessed episode 269 is recorded live January 14th, 2016. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the west side of the state of Michigan where we have been building ice Except for the last four hours where it suddenly got warm. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing
2: very well. Keeping warm.
1: God, you believe the weather? It seems like Ooh. that's what we always talk about, but it was yeah.
2: It was 41 last Saturday when we did the uh the chili dive. Uh-huh. And the next day it was twenty-eight. The next day it was nine. Yes. Now today it's forty-one again. Tomorrow's supposed to be twenty-eight. And for Saturday's dive, it's supposed to be down in the singles or low doubles. Wow. the has got skim ice. When,
1: when you start getting below 13, 14 Fahrenheit, which is what, probably about three degrees Celsius or maybe, okay. yeah, yeah, somewhere around there.
2: Well, zero is 32.
1: Yeah. Zero is 32. And it's like two point something per degree. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we're. You get what, negative 3 Celsius, it's starting to get into the nippy range. Uh, yeah. Well, let's go ahead and jump right on into the news. we got quite a few articles ready this week, and hopefully my computer holds out. I made the mistake of not leaving it on, so it's decided it wants to patch everything right now. But we have an article out of Singapore. A company has been fined $125,000 over death of a former diver who drowned at work. An engineering company received the fine after one of its divers had been uh, sent to clean the hull of a crude oil tanker. Uh, we're going to call him Mr. TR. A former Indian Navy diving w- diver was working on the MV Korakari We went missing underwater on May 12, 19, uh, not 19, 2012. His body was found two days later off the eastern coast of Singapore by the police coast guard. Uh, Caltech Marine Services admitted to one charge of breaching the Workplace Safety and Health Act. Court on Tuesday January twelfth, third, that on the day of the incident a colleague uh, mr. PK also an Indian national then 21 was assigned as his diving buddy and his job was to help in an emergency at about 1:30 p.m. Uh, mr. Praveen surfaced as he had cuts on his hands and the air supply his underwater breathing apparatus scuba was running low he signaled to mr. T to also return to surface by giving him four squeezes on the forearm later returned to surface indicated that mr. Praveen, to the surface first. Mr. T then returned to the brush cart machine, which is used to clean up ship's hulls and continue his work. No other dive uh, buddies were sent to help him, even though this was required by safety procedures. At about 1.55 p.m., a diving supervisor employed by uh, QTEC uh, Mr. GR realized that Mr. T had not surfaced. Uh, Mr. G, then 36, is also a retired Navy diver, sent Mr. P into the water. Yeah, these names are really tough. The subsequent search of operation was unsuccessful. Ministry of Manpower's prosecuting officer said that Caltech had failed to follow the Singapore standard code for practice commercial diving. The company failed to provide two-way communication between its diver and those on the surface. It also failed to fit its divers a lifeline, an emergency supply of breathing air and full face masks for use with scuba apparatus. They said scuba gears only meant for single dives for inspections of light work and short distances. Surface Supply Diving Equipment, which provides divers with unlimited supply of air, should instead be used for occupational diving operations. fine of $130,000 is meant to say that uh, this should not happen again, and they had a lapse of shocking disregard for safety. (coughs) Yeah, so uh, your, your experience on commercial diving, that would be the same thing, wouldn't it?
2: Yeah, nowadays, uh, if you're doing that kind of commercial work, definitely you want, you wanted to be on, uh, surface air with a backup bailout and Maybe. communications.
1: Yeah. So you have a comm talking to the surface or not. I'm, I'm
2: curious why the guy surfaced the, the other guy who did live with cuts and bruises on his head. I can understand that if you have scuba and you're working on barnacles and your head sitting at the bottom of the boat as you're working. Yeah. I think I wanted a hard hat. At least it used to, you know at least a plastic shell type
1: now you want something a little bit more protection because i'm uh, not sure what the water temperatures are but I could see somebody going down without a hood and getting bumped and bruised in some yeah rucksies. but
2: you on that kind of work you definitely want something on your head protecting yourself the guys are lucky because they could have been fined up to half a million dollars
1: yeah they were they were hoping they were only going to be fined fifty thousand dollars but that wasn't to be
2: Right, I, And I just hope the uh, survivors, meaning the wife, if he had one, got the money.
1: I'm trying to see. I don't think it said if the family got anything.
2: I was mostly just talking about the fine of the engineering company. So I'm yeah. curious who got the fine or if that's totally different than the uh, suit that might have followed.
1: Or maybe the suit is waiting for this finding.
2: That's correct. That's something we like to hear about, but it does happen
1: yeah and it I like to highlight it because as recreational divers it's it's attractive for some to venture into that type of work, and you kind of have to understand there's a little bit different rules for commercial diving than recreational
2: it is uh even the mom and pop shops, and it's interesting, depending on what you would call the commercial work, if you go down and recover something off the pier, is that recreational or is that commercial?
1: Well, it's, it depends on who you're asking. If it's it,
2: right, but because it's nothing you couldn't do off our pier on a flat calm day, right? But totally different when you've got ice flows out there and it's something different.
1: And it's really up to the diver to have the experience and the training. Uh, like you said, a nice calm day, warm water, fairly good visibility. Then yeah, you just go, you just dive down and you get it. And I think sometimes it's tempting because as a recreational diver, you frequently find stuff down there and you're like, huh. Ah, I could put a lift bag on this fairly easy. And I, I maybe that's the indication. If you've got to have a lift bag, doesn't that make it a little bit more involved if it's something heavy? Well, it's like
2: if you're doing it on your own, you do it. Maybe it's something you got paid for this time. So what's the difference? You still use the lift bag, Yeah. you know, sport and or commercial. So depending on what country you're in, the, the laws are really restrictive more so than they are in the States.
1: Here's an article from California Diver Magazine. They said that 2015 was a great year for tanks. PSI-PCI report that no scuba cylinders ruptured during the year. Three years ago, uh, they said that they were hoping to train 300 to 500 people to establish a goal of zero ruptures. They surpassed the goal for the first time in five years, but they're not able to get through a year without without at least one cylinder rupture. Many people did not believe it would be possible to reach a zero ruptures goal. They announced that in 2015. No, tanks ruptured.
2: I'd Uh, be curious to know if they were saying that's because more people got VIPs?
1: Well, when you start approaching none, and it depends on what number they came from. I mean, was it five a year, and now you went to none? And it also depends on what those five were.
2: Right, because I've seen some tanks that did rupture, but that was secondary because they had been on a fire, yeah cleaned up, repainted, resold, and then ruptured.
1: Wow. Because That's...
2: the material had changed structure based on the heat.
1: Yeah. Now, is that this year?
2: No, no. Oh, okay. Not a couple of years ago. Yeah.
1: yeah. They said uh they believe it's due to the sheer number of inspectors that have attended PSI, PCI training and working hard to remove cylinders in service that do not meet specific cylinder requirements. The safety inspectors utilize the recognized training they received to help the impact of the scuba industry. Regarding a year with zero ruptures, we're very proud of this accomplishment. Hope to maintain that goal of zero ruptures for many years to come. I mean, you have to you have to say education should play a part in that.
2: True. I was also wondering if they count ruptures as those that fail the hydro. You,
1: you mean know, if it- they rupture during a hydro?
2: Yeah, in a controlled environment. They failed to pass a hydro.
1: I would think failing to pass a hydro wouldn't be because it's the testing itself just because it, you know, failed in hydro. That's exactly the reason you do it.
2: Well, I I was just curious if they had catastrophic failures in that or just because they exceeded the expansion factor. Uh,
1: Hmm. Well, it probably depends on how they're getting reported. I mean, if you're not, if you're a hydro facility and you don't report a rupture that happens during hydro, to anybody, then there would be no metrics for anybody to have. Or yeah. uh, a catastrophic rush, rupture. And maybe, and it'd be interesting to see how how do they know that there were none? Is it just because there wasn't any reported in the news?
2: High probability because you have an explosion or something of that uh, noise level that <laughs> yes. gets people's attention and therefore people talk about it.
1: Now, a burst desk isn't considered a rupture, is it?
2: No, that's it's, burst is doing its job. Yeah. And generally, when that's happened, it's because you walked away and your compressor put a little more air than it should have, or you put it in the back of your, your car with the uh, sunlight directly on the tank and it overpressurized a little more and go boom.
1: Wow. Yep.
2: I have seen both of those.
1: Let's see. This one's out of Jamaica. They said uh, Kellyer is silent on questions around lobster licenses. The Jamaican. Environmental Trust, JET, says silence has greeted concerns it raised to Aquaculture Minister Derek Kellier over the grant of two research licenses to two commercial fishing companies. Uh, JET documented its concerns on November 12, 2015 to a letter to Kellier after media reported last September that the boat owned by one of the companies was detained in uh, Pedro Bank Af- uh, area by the Jamaican Defense force coast guard at the time media reported that the jamaican men on the boat were charged with marine police and the breaches of the fishery act according to marine police six of the men were charged with fishing without identification and fishing without licenses while chief mate was arrested for aiding and abetting the (laughs) breaches so what they're saying is that these licenses uh they they don't want them granted because the perpetrators have known to have been poaching and it goes on and on. So that one's out of the Jamaican Observer. And I'd say it was in the show notes, but I have been really bad. I apologize to everybody who's been waiting for show notes. I haven't been able to get those out. Uh, we're we're I'm a mentor for the robotics team that my son and daughter are in. And it's like if I haven't been at work and I haven't been sleeping, it's been at that robotics competition preparing. This is one Mac that you provided. uh, climate change is uh, forcing key bacteria into overdrive in the oceans. I said the bacteria tie... Okay, let's see if I can... uh, Tricho is how researchers do it, which is Trecho desminium. It's one of the few organisms in the ocean that can fix... Atmospheric nitrogen gas making it available to other organisms. It's crucial because all life from algae to whales needs nitrogen to grow. The new stody, study from the University of Southern California and the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute shows that climate changing conditions due to climate, shows that changing conditions due to climate change could send trico into overdrive with no way to stop reproducing faster and generating lots more nitrogen without the ability to slow down, however, uh, Trecho has potential to gobble up all its available resources, which could trigger die-offs of the microorganisms at a higher and the higher organisms that depend on it. Breeding right. of hundreds of generations of bacteria over the course of nearly five years and high carbon, carbon dioxide conditions predicted for, two th- uh, two, for the year 2100, researchers found that increased ocean acidification evolved Tricho to work harder, producing 50% more nitrogen and growing faster. The promise that these amped-up bacteria can't turn off even when they are placed in conditions with less carbon dioxide. Further, the ad- adaptation can't be reversed over time, something that has not been seen before an evolutionary biologist. and worrisome the Marine biologist, says David Hutchins, lead author of the study, losing the ability to regulate your growth rate is not a healthy thing. last thing you want to do is be stuck in these high growth rates when there aren't enough nutrients to go around. Uh, it's a losing strategy to struggle to survive. Said it needs phosphorus and iron, which also exists in the item in the ocean and limited supply with no way to regulate its growth. The turbo boosting trico could burn through all the available nutrients too quickly and abruptly dive off, which would be catastrophic for other life forms in the ocean that need nitrogen to produce survived. And they go on and talk a little bit more about it.
2: Uh, Doesn't now, that sound like a fun time in the future if this continues? Yeah. You're talking massive die offs.
1: Uh, and we're talking about one bacteria. Uh, I'm I'm just wondering: Are there other bacteria? Because you, know, you, you, what's the density of this bacteria? How is it? It's a disaster. How common is it? Uh, are there other? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's going to be competing with other bacteria. You almost have to look at the system as a whole. This is a this is a focused study on a particular bacteria, which is it's valuable because you need to understand how that works. But I would like to see a little bit broader picture.
0: Well,
2: I, I, I liked it because it was the University of South, uh, Southern California mm-hmm. and Woods Hole. Uh, I don't think you can get any better than those two organizations.
1: No, they do some good studies.
2: Yeah. Wow.
1: Here's, here's one. Divers clean up the failed Florida reef project from the 70s. And we've covered this one a few times over the years. Fort Lauderdale, Florida. There's an attempt going on to, I don't know what you call it, just pick up the reef uh, what they had done is they had placed old tires uh, to make a reef open that coral would grow on them and all they ended up with is a bunch of tires littering the bottom of the the ocean uh, it's a massive 35 acre graveyard of old tires it started his way getting rid of tires that were clogging clogging up landfills in the 1970s up to two million tires buried by metal caps were dumped or uh, bundled by metal clips were dumped into the ocean to create a reef hopes that it would spur coral growth and attract fish all for good for the environment good idea bad outcome clips rusted away tires broke free storms and constant ocean currents kept the tires moving dragging along damaging the fragile living reef nearby right now it's just a wasteland tires everywhere now we need to correct it before it does any additional dam- damage they said the tires have spread to they're as far away as beaches of fort lauderdale they said this Surrounded by seemingly endless mound of tires, it says uh, he slings them into lines hauled up by a crane. He can fetch as many as 600 tires on a good day. It's a race against time. Pat Quinn, a natural resources specialist for Broward County, says if they don't get them out of there, the tires will be there forever. So far, Florida state funding will bring the number of recovered tires to about 160,000, not enough, experts say, to protect three 7,000 years in the making.
2: The pictorial says it all.
1: Yeah, it's just a really sad-looking pile of tires. It's a, it's what you'd think they are. It's like, imagine a tire's worn out and at the end of their life just sit in the bottom of the ocean.
2: I wonder if the clips had not eroded or if they'd had another mechanism to keep them together, if being bunched together would have enhanced their ability to, to support other life.
1: Well, it seems like somebody would have shown a photo somewhere. Of coral growing on tires, if it worked at any spot.
2: Yeah, because the picture shows them flat, like you covered a football field with them, just flat.
1: Yeah. I wonder if they're just too flexible where they move. Like, maybe the rubber's not a good surface for coral in the first place, and then the fact that they're rubbery, that they move and damage any coral that's next to them. Because you look at it, and it's just like if you threw a bunch of Cheerios in the bottom of a sandbox. Yeah. They're just sitting there. Uh, Get them out. They they said it's not enough. So they get 160,000 out. How many they have in there? Two million. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. They weren't shy about putting them down to begin with. Somebody thought they were had a payday. It sounds like they probably got rid of. It sounded like a
2: win-win situation. You got rid of junk tires on the surface. You put them to a place that's going to make a good reef. Everybody wins. Well, in this case, it didn't happen.
1: The only guy who won was the person who didn't need to deal with tires another way. Now, this is what they should be using. They should have been using whale skulls. <laughs> Prehistoric whale skull discovered in Virginia Swamp. Wow, that's a nice tooth. Oh, yeah. Wow, wow look at that. And I haven't seen one that color. Uh, articles from scubadiving.com, and that is carbon black.
0: I was watching football, look. right?
1: Yep. The giant tooth of megalodon shark was found by Jason Osborne. The whale shark skull that Osborne discovered appears to have teeth that mark it from this prehistoric shark. Uh, fossilized whale skulls were estimated to be more than five million years old. It's a real with massive shark marks that are from a famed megalodon shark. The best part, it could be entirely new whale species. Diver and paleontologist Jason Osborne. Now that's a combination. You're a paleontologist and you're also a diver. When I did career day, that was not on the list. Dinosaur hunter, scuba diver. He says, I was nervous. I wouldn't find the skull again, and that flooding may have destroyed it. Luckily, I did find it was in great condition. It took more than two years of planning to bring the fragile fossil to the surface. To retrieve the skull, Osborne needed a large boat, most importantly something to lift the skull without breaking it or losing any of the important bones that can attach during the transition. His solution, a body bag. It took our team of four people two days to get it out. 25 feet of water with low visibility are basically night diving, says Osborne. The whale fossil was then donated to Calvert Marine Museum for Scientific Research, where whale expert uh, Stephen Godfrey will test the skull for signs of new species. Osborne is a co-founder of PaleoQuest, a nonprofit that works to locate and retrieve art, ancient artifacts and fossils. Founded in 2010, since then, PaleoQuest has found many other fossils in the past four years of diving in and around the great dismal swamp near Newport News, Virginia, including porpoises, whale bones, detached megalodon teeth. See, he's not, a, not only is he paid to find dinosaurs, he gets megalodon teeth. I've been startled many times while diving for fossils, says Osborne, who has never dived in clear water except for the pool where he was certified 11 years ago. I can't emphasize how amazing it is to see a skull of a whale to touch it for the first time. Discovery is all the motivation to keep me diving.
0: Okay.
1: See, not, the
2: rest of us would not have a clue what it looked like.
1: Well, how about when we we did the uh, megalodon teeth diving and we're pulling all the stuff off, and, and and Captain Tom is going, "Oh, that's a vertebrae from this, and then that's from that," and to us they look like rocks.
2: <laughs> Funny looking rocks so though now. Yeah,
1: the, the teeth you can get, the rest of them just doesn't, doesn't. Well, the
2: vertebrae weren't too bad, you know, the big sections. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, the other bones that they said this is part of a rib and this is out of this. Well, how about oh, the ear? Yeah, you know, it's the, the, the ear bone, yes.
1: Yeah. And there's a lot of ear bones. Just kind of like they collect. It's almost like it had sifted and sorted.
2: A lot of that, it was quite interesting to play with that stuff though. Yeah. I really enjoyed that
1: we have the custo foundation saying that they are prepared to bring the calypso back the beginning of 2016 the calypso beginning a whole new life 20 years after its accident in singapore if you don't remember the uh, calypso was in singapore i think it ran into another boat and sunk uh they transported it back to france uh and they've been uh working on trying to bring it back uh Casteau society bought the ship from uh Guinness in order for it to be a living representative of the ecology sailing of the oceans of the world. Let's see what uh, thousands of fans from around the world have been brought their moral support to the Casteau Society for the full refurbishment of Calypso. Considerable costs entailed by this project have on many occasions over the last 20 years prevented its goal from being achieved. Finally the society has managed to gather a group of generous and highly motivated international sponsors whose objectives are compatible with those of the Cousteau Society. At the end of the first trimester of 2016, Calypso will be available to leave the, uh, um, that's a French word, so I'll apologize, car, uh, Concarneau shipyard to bring it to new life. In the historic haul in the ship equipment, Calypso will be fitted with two Volvo, Mar- Volvo marine motors, which were bought in 2009. Francine Cousteau adds that when Calypso will return to the Mediterranean she'll be seaworthy and powered by her own two motors, as was Captain Calypso's wish. I was extremely happy to announce this great news after twenty years struggle against diversity and various mishaps. I am grateful to those who have helped us and invite all to share the joy today with us. Now that's from the Cousteau site uh and I don't have the other article. I think the other article is one of the scuba diving blogs but they pointed out that in 2014 they had a judgment against them for a half million dollars that they owed the shipyard, and they had to get the boat out of there. Uh, there is a documentary that I think was meant to be showing how Calypso was being redone, and it shows it getting all the way to the point where uh, the refurbishment stopped.
2: If you go to the, or the, the site that you're on now and you just read,
1: mm-hmm.
0: off
2: to the left-hand side, it has the... Costo.org, and if you had clicked on that link that I did before, and it took me where I wanted to go, and it's not doing it now, (laughs) Uh, but it went to the Calypso link, and then it had uh, additional details. I don't Mm -hmm. know if that's because it's got a different screen or, or an updated one, but it has an article. Hang on a second. That if you click on, then it'll give you the much more detail. Okay. Unfortunately, my daughter's not here to translate, but it's in French.
1: Uh, there is it, more
2: information along the lines that you were talking about if you went to the Cousteau Society itself and ferret around just a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, uh, the documentary that I saw, it was on the, you know, PBS or one of the programs. And it was interesting. It, they had the, uh, you know, the front of the, the vessel off and they'd taken it all apart. And, uh, I think some, some of it, I mean, this is an outsider looking in. I think some of it had to do with, uh Overly aggressive goals and constraints they put on the project, and I think they assumed that money was going to be coming. That didn't happen, and then there, were, there was also a fight with overruns on costs on restoration because it's it's actually easier to build a new boat than to restore a wooden boat because that boat that vessel was originally a uh, a wooden minesweeper, wasn't it from World War II? I
2: I believe it was, yes. Yeah.
1: yeah, so. You've got a minesweeper. I think it had, the hull had been patched and modified. Cousteau added that viewing port off the front. Uh, so it was, uh, you know, not your, your average type of project. Well, hopefully for them, you know, somebody grow up in the program, I, I hope it gets done. I'd like to see it. Maybe take a ride, do some diving off it. Would that be fun?
2: Of course. I bet they play high calypso on the PA system. Yes. As yeah, all, it's all
1: calypso music. And then we have a shipwreck mistaken for the MH370. That was the plane that disappeared that they have been looking at for quite a while. Archaeologists believe a shipwreck found in the search for MH370 wreckage may have been a Peruvian-built transport ship that disappeared in its way to Sydney more than 100 years ago. Sonar search for the Malaysian Airlines flight that vanished almost two years ago and covered the shipwreck deep in the Indian Ocean. Experts have claimed that the underwater drone images of the wreck Found 2,600 kilometers southwest of Freebantle, Western Australia may show all the remains of the SV Inca, the Baroque style 950 gross registered tonnage ship set sail from Callio, West of Lima on 10th of March 1911 it has not been seen since. Now they, they, they said they sent drones down for images of the wrecks, but that's a side scan sonar. Is that what they were using? Very
2: possibly they use a lot of ROVs and put the scanner on it to go down closer to it to get better pictures. That's at 12,000 meters.
1: Yes. Yeah, that is, uh. A little
2: deep for a cable. Yeah. Not that you can't, but.
1: And and if I'm correct, that's out of recreational dive depths.
2: Just a little bit. Yeah. Even with your
1: rebreather, I don't think you're gonna... A rebreather, you're not gonna do it. The sonar, oh, that's a, that's a caption for the photo. Ah, that's about what I would think it would look like based on the photo they show the picture.
2: If that is, in fact, the same one, yes.
1: I think they're just using one similar because it it seemed to be a sailing vessel. But uh, I saw another article that claimed it was an iron or steel hull.
2: Yes, I saw that too because they were saying the characteristics of its disintegration Uh were the same as a steel steel or iron ship.
1: But from that side scan, which is remarkably sharp, you can see the bowsprit and you only have something like that on a sailing vessel. So that image makes sense. So this is a, now in 1911, are, why would you not have, I mean, Steve? would you, would you have motors though too?
2: Well, some you do. Cause if you look at the picture
1: mm-hmm.
2: on the right hand side in the background, you'll see stacks from other vessels. Yeah. I just blew it up to look at it and there's, Stacks, I'm assuming, from steamers.
1: Yeah, because on the Great Lakes, there's a few transitional vessels where you had wood clad and metal. You, may have an, you might have an, an engine, but you're also doing sailing. And then vessels change hand many times. Yeah, so the photograph of the State Library of South Australia showing shown the SV Inca at anchor at Port Adelaide with a load of timber on the 10th of February, 1904. Oh, timber. That makes sense. I just thought that was a, a high sided vessel, but that's the timber stacked on its decks.
2: Okay.
0: Ah,
1: interesting. And then you have another article. I think this is one that you found. Shipwreck discovered in 2015 maritime history. Those are some nice photos. This is uh, scuba diving.com.
2: Always like airplanes, and this was a good one. They talk about exploring one plane wreck is good, but 150 is better. So if you're out there in the Pacific Ocean, Marshall Islands, Mm -hmm. 150 World War II aircraft found in 130 foot of water.
1: And that's 130 feet, so you still have the pressure of that depth, but the clarity is amazing. Right. And you you can even uh, stab a lionfish while you're at it, according to that picture.
2: Right, and the, the other interesting part was these did not crash in flight. These were dumped. That's oh. why there's so many in a small area.
1: They so were this is
2: off a reef after the war.
1: So this is post-war. They're just as part of the surrender, they seized them and dumped them.
2: Yeah, it doesn't give the uh, classification of the types, but uh, quite interesting though. And that is a really good picture of a lionfish right in front of it, isn't
1: it? Yeah. Now, a hundred and thirty feet. Do you think that was intentional? That it was only that deep?
2: I think it was proximity. Here we are. Here's the water. Here's the reef. Toss it. Okay. At the time, who cared?
1: Yeah. Well, it's tantalizing. It's, it's at the, one of those depths where if you decided later you wanted to salvage it, at least for minerals, you, mm-hmm. you, you know, you could easily have the technology to do it. Uh, but it's not remark, you know, extreme amounts down.
2: Yeah. It'd be, uh, according to this, this was not a Japanese aircraft. It was a Corsair, the one that you're looking at. Okay. But uh, that would have been interesting to look at.
1: Another one on the the dream dive list. Okay. And then we've got 22 shipwrecks found in a single Greek location.
2: And doesn't that seem unfair?
1: It does. <laughs> the second
2: sp- part, of course, is why do you have 22 of them there? you have an accident, uh, a war, or a storm?
1: Or just a really bad spot. It's that one reef that everybody forgets about. Yeah. Uh, archaeologists have discovered 22 shipwrecks around a small Greek archipelago, revealing that it may be the ancient shipwreck capital of the world. Hailed as one of the top archaeological finds in 2015, discoveries made by a joint Greek-American archaeological expedition, a small Farini archipelago in the area of just 17 square miles. It's a collection of 13 islands, Uh, Islets located between eastern Aegean island of Samoas and Ikara. And I said Samoas, it's not. It's some S-A-M-O-S. Samos, Samos, and Ikara. Karia? I-C-A-R-I-A. Surpassing all expectations over only 13 days, we added 12% of the total known ancient shipwrecks to Greek territorial waters. Peter Campbell, the University of Southampton, and co-director of the U.S.-based RPM Nautical Foundation told Discovery News, uh, Farini lies right in the middle of the major east-west crossing route as well as the north-south route that connected the Aegean to the Levant. Ships traveling from the Greek mainland to Asia Minor, or ships leaving the Aegean for the Levant, had to pass by Ferini, Akira in the west coast of Samos, have no harbors or anchorages, so Fiori is the safest place that ships could stop in the area. The first time that underwater archaeological expedition was organized to the islands, archaeologists from Greek Ephorates of Underwater Antiquities and RPM Nautical Foundation worked with local sponge divers, fishermen, and free divers and were more than surprised by the results. Funding was provided by Honor Frost Foundation, a UK charity that supports research in eastern Mediterranean through an endowment from pioneer marine archaeologist Honor Frost. In a typical survey, we locate four or five shipwrecks per season. In best case, Greek director George oh, Kautz, so That's sophakalakis um, that's not even close. We ex- We expected a successful season, but no one was prepared for this shipwrecks were found literally everywhere. Over half the wrecks date to the late Roman period, circa 300 to 600 AD. Overall, the shipwreck span from the what was that, archaic period, 700 to 480 BC, to the classical 480 to 323 BC, Hellenistic 323 to 31 BC, through the late medieval period, 16th century. What is astonishing is not the number of shipwrecks, but also the discovery of the cargoes, some of which have been found for the first time. Cargoes revealed distant trade between the Black Sea, Aegean Sea, Cyprus, Levant, and Egypt. In all those periods, at least three ships carried cargoes of amphoras or jars that had been not previously on shipwrecks. These are archaic period, 700 to 480 BC. Samoan amph, I said Samoan. Sim- Samian amphoras, late Roman, third to seventh century AD. Sinopean carrot-shaped amphora's and large 2nd century AD Black Sea amphora's that carried fish sauce. What's a f- uh, fish sauce? Wow. Archaeologists mapped each shipwreck using uh photogrammetry. Uh, gametry? Gametry? Grametry? Grammetry? Seems like there should be an extra syllable in there somehow. To create 3D site map, representative artifacts were raised from each wreck site for scientific analysis may go on display in museums once conservation work is over. According to team, the volume of the wrecks frowned is more to the large amount of traffic passing along the route than to the islands being unsafe.
2: The interesting part I got out of a lot of that is they had only examined 5% of the coastline where they were looking. So you still got 95% to go. Well, and that would be the 22 of them.
1: Well, you look at the Great Lakes and how many shipwrecks we've lost, and it's such a small amount of time compared to here. Yeah. And I think everybody knows there's more shipwrecks than this, but in watching some of it, they don't expect the wrecks to be even identifiable. You know, in fact, these maybe if they didn't have the M4 uh, the the jars, you know, which are many times like a fired clay, uh, you wouldn't even know it was there. Uh
2: they didn't say the depth on that, but looking at the diver with no hood and a single tank on his back, doesn't sound like they're really deep either.
0: No,
1: I'd I say not. No hood is a good indication that. It's darker, and, and it, well, my guess would be that looks like about 80 feet, 90 feet. Don't know. Yeah, he's got a single tank, so he's not doing a lot with air. He's got a snorkel.
2: Oh, okay. On that picture, by the way, there's an arrow to the right. Click on it. Okay. You have a few more pictures we didn't see before.
1: Oh well, yeah, they got a nice line where they're doing some survey work. Wow, those are some good. That's great,
2: visibility, Let me tell you. Yeah. All those bumps and stuff—that's cargo behind those guys.
1: All those bumps but, are cargo. I thought that was you know, landscape.
2: Go to the next pictorial, and that's the one I wanted to find. Wow. Quite interesting.
1: Hmm. Ten cans of their day. Yes you got to put your food in something if you're going to transport it.
2: A couple of thousand years from now, they're going to start digging up our garbage dumps and saying, wow, look at this stuff. They preserved it for us in plastic.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Every time I throw something away that's you you, you didn't eat, but it rotted, so you throw it away in a container, and you just think that that's going to be there forever. We're just helping future archaeologists.
2: There was there's been some interesting finds we're not going to talk about it now but god cracked open a piece of coal you know you get big clumps of coal they're breaking up to put it on a furnace uh-huh. and uh that piece of coal was millions of years old and inside the clump that broke open was a very interesting figurine of quality that would be hard for you to replicate nowadays wow and then it's like uh They got my curiosity peaked, so they gave a few more examples of where people had been uh, drilling a hole. It was uh, 320-some-odd feet down through a certain kind of, again, coal and other rock. They brought up the casing with it, and inside of the casing was objects that were inside of the rock itself. So they hypothesized that it's like 500 million years old. And the biggest one I thought was great was they had been on a coal seam and they broke open a side of it. And then in the middle of that was looked like a very large hammer and handle on it. And the handle, which was wood, was petrified. And their point is, you have no freaking clue what this earth looked like 500 million years ago and who was here. No, I'll have to find that for you because it's very freaky and very interesting.
1: No, I find that really interesting.
2: Uh, I mean, we're talking here, you know, 600 BC, and that's a long time for us. But what?
1: Well, you 3, you 000. look at <laughs> people who look at you know the age of how long they believe humans have been on, and pretty much I want to say it's a million years or less. Yeah. and they're, I'm,
2: they're coming up with stuff that's over 500 million years old. Coal, which, meant it was vegetation. What they figured is it got dumped down and fallen in or whatever. So when that got compressed and made coal, it's in the middle of it. That's really freaking with your mind when you think about would it. would
1: be, especially if I was one of the guys doing that stuff. You'd have to think, what the heck? Everything we know about coal. We either says that there was humans or something capable of creating art way back then, or the coal grows a little quicker than we expect? Yeah,
2: I'll have to find that article. That It's quite interesting. I didn't find any rebuttals to it because it was it, these items were found in different places throughout the world. But they're saying it makes you really have a different perspective on what 500 million years means.
1: Yeah. Well, here's another one from Scuba Diving Magazine, and they talk about a diver's list of New Year's resolutions. And, uh, let's see. How many of these did you make? Well, let's, let's go through them. Uh, okay. I will stop taking so many underwater selfies. Well. Never have taken one. I've never taken, I don't even take above water selfies. I'm trying to think if I've, I have probably, I'm less than maybe five selfies. I've had other people take a picture of me. I don't call that a selfie. Right, I don't even. Even if I use it for a profile. So that's, I'm just not that interested in taking a picture of myself by, using my arm. I just think it's bad photography. Honestly, a selfie, even with a selfie stick. And why, why do I need to just seems a little bit overdone, but okay. So some people do it underwater. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, I will stop calling free divers, snorkelers behind their back. Never have. No, to me, they're distinct things. Uh, you know, free diver to me is somebody who goes way deeper than a snorkeler and do free divers. Some free divers will use a snorkel, won't they?
2: Well, if you're on the surface, you're way out, you're breathing, then you do your dive.
1: Yeah, yeah, but yeah, free diver free diver and snorkeler is completely distinct. And I think typically a free diver is doing, my opinion of a free diver, and I'm sure free divers will do things that may overlap with snorkelers, but a lot of times, at least lately, it's been popularized how deep they're going.
2: I think most guys who did free diving were hunting for food and, you know, fish.
1: Yeah. That's when I
2: think of free divers.
1: No, you had the original sponge divers were free divers. Yeah. Uh, number three is I will visit a new local dive site.
2: I can probably see that, yeah.
1: Yeah, I would. That, that would be on my list all the time. Yeah. Always looking for a new site. Four, I will dive more often to manage stress. That is very true. And I was thinking about that this week. Uh, I will stop exaggerating the size of the whale shark I saw that one time, even though it was huge. Now, the thing I think of, and this would be an interesting study for somebody, is I think it's impossible for us who live above the water to accurately see something underwater and know how big it is. Uh, I think you have to compare it next to something. I don't think that you can visually, uh, and I, I think that'd be an interesting test to do. You know, put four objects in the water, have somebody take a look at them and have them describe to you how big they are and then document it and, and show what the difference is. Yeah. Because I think we tend to see things, I think, just the way our visualization is, everything looks larger underwater, which could be a good tip for certain people. Uh, let's see, six, I will stop referring to beginners on the boat as chum. <laughs> that one's good. I don't know. I haven't heard anybody called beginners on chum, but I have not been on a shark diving boat. I will find a new buddy, but forever love my old one. Yeah, I guess. I'm, we're always, you know... The more, the merrier. Bring on all the many dive buddies that we can get. Uh, I'm sure some people have number eight. I will not have any drinks the night before a dive.
2: I don't think anybody in that club drinks. Or, if, I mean, maybe not, a beer.
1: Yeah. We lunch. don't have a big group of of drinkers. Now, I have gone diving with people who do, and I don't pretend to match what they do, but I do drink more than I do on my own. Uh, yeah, I don't think we've got a lot. But, you know, caffeine also should can go in there, too. Anything that's changing your metabolism is something you gotta watch. Uh, I will get another certification, advanced nitrox cave diving or rec diving. Uh, I've always learning, I would put in that group. I will actually take that refresher course this year. Well, if you're actively diving, do you need the refresher course? It, you know, there's always things that you can brush up on. 11, I finally edit all my underwater video footage. Whew, yeah, I can, I can believe that. Or, or even photographs. There's just tons of them. And it says 12 is I will learn a new skill, maybe underwater photography. That's a good one. 13, I'll exchange my mother-in-law's gift certificate for a a shark feeder program.
2: I won't go there.
1: Yeah, that seems like some sort of bait. Uh, 14, I'll take part in the dive against debris.
2: Ecology dive?
1: Yeah, ecology dives. We do that almost all the time. You can make every dive an ecology dive. I will stop peeing in my wetsuit with my dive buddy is swimming underneath me i don't think that if you pee in your wetsuit your dive buddy is swimming under you that i mean for one thing is it's, it's is your pee heavy that or you must have
2: a very holy suit
1: yeah yeah it's pretty much going to stick next to your skin now the guys in the boat after the dive may kind of sh- crinkle their nose at you oh, And yeah,
2: flush it on the back of the, the boat when you get up
1: 16 is I will not laugh every time somebody on a dive boat uses a word safety sausage or off gas. Eh, I'm gonna still laugh. I'll finally start saving for my dream dive destination. Not if that means not diving. I will subscribe to scuba diving magazine. Okay. Yeah, that's a self-plug. Yeah. I will, I will attend uh, diving related functions. Every month. Yep. I will stop tugging on shark fins with my one good hand. <laughs> I guess it's inferring that the other hand is no longer there.
2: Yeah, he stopped feeding at first.
1: Yeah. Well, if he kept calling the guy earlier chum, then he might have been okay. Uh, I will join a local diving club. I think that's a great idea. 22, I will update my equipment, never have too much gear.
2: Or maintain it.
1: Yes, maintaining it. That would be a, actually a really good one. I will encourage my family to dive. That's it can been, a, happen. Yeah, it's been a challenge I have not won. I will come back to the same dive boat I left in. That hap that <laughs> that doesn't happen a remarkable amount of time in our dive club. I
2: would have to, I don't know why we I'd have to put that in my I'm going to do this. You're like you've not been doing
1: that. <laughs> well, we've done it a lot, but we people know.
2: But that's because we're in trail. We're well, all hooked
1: together. We're well, yeah, we're all hooked together, and you know, it usually works out for whatever reason. Yeah, you
2: know, who's got the best food?
1: <laughs> yeah. Snacks on a boat can that complain effect. If you, not only do you have a nice boat, but you provide some of the best snacks. Yeah, now, Lucy's always got food on. Oh I man. Them a lot. Okay. A so, uh, little, little squirrel moment here. Uh, Lucy, uh, Ken's wife, she makes, what's she call those? Oh, she's got a term for them, but she makes, she usually makes a pan of them. Two uh, pans. Chocolate. Well, you're right, and there's two types in the same pan. So it's like half yeah. is chocolate, half is butterscotch. Crunchies, fudgies. Oh, it's black. All I know
2: is you're good, naive.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. I think that's that got me in a lot of trouble with my doctor. Uh, but they're, <laughs> they're really marshmallow treats with a half-inch layer of either chocolate or butterscotch uh, h- hard on top of them. And they're the type. It, it's that perfect consistency where it's soft and chewy and crunchy. And it makes your jaw tired after you've eaten a couple. Not enough to not have a third. Uh, and then 25. Yes. And then 25, I'll practice my emergency skills at least twice this year. Now I think that's a good one.
2: And I think everybody in the club should be doing multiple items depending on type of dive they're doing, what skill they're uh,
1: practicing. Well, Jim Kleeman and I were talking about, we thought we should make flash cards where you'd have like a a deck of these cards and then you would draw, each of you would draw a card before your dive. And and before the end of the dive you would have to practice that skill that was on there. And you can even break them out. You can have a deck for lake diving or river diving or ice diving, but uh, it would be nice just to kind of mix it up.
2: I was looking at some items last week when we were talking and two items come to mind is that we don't, don't practice is Let's say you're you had an auto inflate, meaning you're you push a little air into your dry suit, and uh, the button doesn't release, so you're you're filling up your dry suit really really quick.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What do you do? And then let's go back one more. Let's say you did the same thing on your BC. You're down 120 feet. You you bump it just a little bit to tweak your your buoyancy, and it sticks open. What are you going to do? And have you practiced dumping that?
1: Well, so it's in your BC, right?
2: Well, you let's say your dry suit, you you bumped it and that stayed on. You're inflating like Pillsbury Doughboy, or you had a BC, you did the same thing. You get max inflation, 120 feet. What do you do?
1: Well, on the BC, if you're thinking quick enough to do that, and is you could actually twist off the BC inflate. Well, one one thing you could pinch the, the hose. To stop the air from coming in, that could be a challenge sometimes. Uh, you could turn a lot of times your BC's the inflator could be un could be removed from the BC. Uh, Number one is
2: you're going to have to be yanking on your on the release for you know your safety valve mm-hmm. to start dumping the air. But well, at the same time, I don't know how you're going to use your other hand to get that inflator hose off because that's what you want to do.
1: Yeah, because the uh, and it depends on the BC. Some are easier than others uh it depends on also the other dumps you've got you know if you've got a a big enough dump valve like uh you know my I call it my butt dump, my butt dump uh you can sometimes dump a ton of air through that so you could go head down and dump the air out that way uh i mean i i guess if you're and it's probably the smart thing to do but i don't know many people who do it you could always knife your bc you know, if you're pro- if you know you're properly weighted you could knife it and then you would just have to swim up or go with the aid of a dive buddy to get to the surface.
2: Or the other one would be cut the hose.
1: Yeah, you could do that. Yeah,
2: the, cut I'm the hose. The inflator hose would be easier. I mean, not the the um, you know your corrugated hose. Mm. Cut that one. That's going to be easier than your your other one probably. Yeah, your
1: inflator hose might be a little tough. Or penny cutters would would help you do that. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's an interesting discussion. Maybe that's a, that's a good one for the next dive club meeting. Yeah. We could ask everybody what the recommendation is. Same thing with a dry suit. Dry suit I think is a little tougher, especially if you don't have a lot of dump options. And it could be the same thing. You cut the hose. Yeah. And the more I think about it, the more I like it. I can't get the, the hose undone when it's under pressure.
2: No, you can't. And you got your heavy duty gloves because you oh, Yeah. ice yeah, You're for... going to be, you're going to go screaming to the top. Yeah. And if you got ice on top, oh. you're going to hurt yourself.
1: I, I had that happen. I think it might have happened to me last year. I, I went. And I don't know if it was me not controlling my buoyancy being improperly weighted, but I did get to the ice a little quicker than I normally like. Uh, that's a, that's a good one to, to practice on. And, and for those in the southern, uh, warmer waters, uh, you can, if you're not diving with gloves, you can sometimes get that inflator off even when it's under pressure. But with gloves, it's a challenge. And th- these things, you've got two or three seconds to come up with the right answer and do otherwise you're rocketing.
2: I just thought I'd toss that in. That's a good discussion
1: item. I like that. Down the road. Yeah. And then here for, we got uh, some articles on some potentially cool scuba gear. Navy is developing, uh, scuba suits that help save helium. Anybody's done tech diving knows how much helium can cost you. And helium is, is something for the most common element in the universe. Uh, we could potentially run out of it. It's it goes away into the atmosphere, not to be found back on Earth again. Uh, helium, I think that we have on that we get as part of the uh, mining operations. Isn't that the decay of the uranium that's naturally occurring produces I, the helium? I'm not
2: sure, where the helium comes from, truthfully.
1: Uh, I, I and I don't know. I, it's up for somebody else, but just didn't, in my mind. I've I've heard that it's uh, the only reason we even have it on Earth is because the Earth's core is made up of nuclear material that has collapsed at the center and that as it, as it goes through its processes, helium is a byproduct of, uh, the radioactive, uh, fission process. Uh, no one makes geek worthy dive gear like the Navy and it looks like they've done it again. This one's out of scuba diving magazine, which, which had quite a few good articles. Understand mm-hmm.
0: emotions, but it also involves the ability to control them. The high emotional intelligence quotient, or EQ, We're able to pick up on how I think that's you i and trying,
2: trying to find it, it went <laughs> away. <laughs>
1: uh, scientists at the Navy Surface Warfare Center in Panama City, Florida, have developed a prototype for a new deep diving life support system intended to conserve helium, the valuable, expensive resource, to accelerate the development of the Navy's divers' increased safety. John uh, Champerman. Principal investigator at Navy Surface Warfare Center says a significant step in saving up to 80% of the gas during military diving operations compared to the present system. Current technology is flyaway Mixed Gas Systems, FMGS, which delivers gas mixtures to divers through an umbilical cord and a demand-regulated open-circuit helmet. In this method, ex- exhaled gas is released into the water, wasting a great amount of oxygen and helium. The new rebreather system uses an umbilical-fed breathing loop that allows divers' exhaled carbon dioxide to be recycled by returning back through the helmet instead of into the water. Rapid 3D printing technologies were used to mold and cast the complex loop shapes to integrate the helmet and the rebreather. The new system modifies the current helmet and rebreather. Prototype analysis and testing have shown drastic reductions in helium consumption as possible. This according to Champerman testing a new prototype system indicates that the full range of FMGS diving is supportable with Navy life support requirements and that several life support characteristics are improved including extended emergency come-home gas duration. The new life support system is a step towards the Navy's initial response diving initiative, the goal of which is to support faster recovery of objects in deep water. Examples of recovery efforts include disabled submarines, rescue survivors of capsized or cheap materials from accidents before the ocean current sweeps them away. The IDR goals is to allow human divers to perform work that requires human interventions at depth of 600 feet within 36 hours of being deployed. So not your average day of recreational reef diving. Conserving helium is not only cost-effective aspect of new technology with the FMGS system, transportation support vessel sizes and consumables of helium and other Necessary gases contribute to sizable cost. If implemented, the new system overall will lower overall cost because less helium will be reduced to deck space requirement. This technology interfaces directly with the Navy-certified FMGS to save helium without replacing the FMGS. Therefore, it is low-cost improvement for the Navy. There are other systems that approach 100% helium reclaim, but using one of them would require replacing FMGS at a much greater cost to the Navy. Now, how do you get 100% recovery? Would you have a helium scrubber and a closed loop system?
2: It Sounds like something of that nature.
1: So this one is not, this is, is this a rebreather that they're talking about? I mean, is that the simple thing? It sure looks like that. It looks like a rebreather, but they're mixing, it's a, it's a rebreather with a helmet. The, so yeah. I'm trying to think of why is this new or is it just that they're prototyping it to make it fit within their operating envelope? Well, probably,
2: normally. Yeah, another thing I can think of is instead of using bottle gas, working off of a, uh, a submerged vehicle of some type,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, they're making it self-contained.
1: Or is this one of those leaky valves? So they've got an open-circuit helmet, and they're modifying these helmets to be rebreathers. So that must be – so the current technology is flyaway mixed gas system, which delivers gas mixtures to divers through a big cord. To demand regulated open circuit helmet, which would be like what a commercial diver would be using. Mm-hmm. Other than you're bringing your gas as opposed to surface supply. And that everything, every time you exhale, even though you haven't used it, you're breathing it out. Now in a rebreather, you scrub the carbon dioxide out. So th- that's what they're saying. It, it allows the divers exhaled carbon dioxide to be recycled through the helmet instead of into the water. Yeah. So it just sounds like a rebreather. Yeah. But.
2: Side note, helium is running right now about $6.13 per cubic meter.
1: Wow. You can go through that pretty quick, can't you? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I know when people talk about technical diving, you're $150. So I don't know what this is. Okay. Then Aqualung. So without reading the article, the title says Aqualung New Women's BC. So when I think of, uh, dive companies and how they approach women's equipment, it must be pink, right? Actually
2: the Lotus is on one of the pockets, that's pink the dive knife has a slit on the sides of the handles that are pink and that's it it said the Lotus is a black back inflation style BC specifically designed for women and incorporates Aqualung's integrated Rapture harness system it hugs the contours of the female body with speci- uh, specially curved shoulder straps and side lobes to provide a better fit. I'd wear it.
1: <laughs> See, I don't. It's not showing me the uh, the the link that I've got does not show me anything. So I'm gonna have to take your word for it.
2: Take my word for it. I'm looking at it.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I um, believe you.
2: And it talks about the integrated weights are held in with their SureLock too. Uh huh mechanisms, which is better than my Ziploc, or not my Ziploc, but my uh, Velcro latches. I keep losing mine, by God. Cool. It looks nice.
1: Now, who? this was Aqualug? Yeah. Wow. I like this website. The Nauti, Was it Nautis Expo? They've got a lot of cool stuff. Of course, I like boat things in general. So huh? you had boats, scuba diving, docks, piers, all that sort of stuff, and I'm in it. So they've got some hollow stuff here, some Tusa, ship storage locker. Wow. God, what I could do. Uh, Here's another squirrel moment. How about that lottery? What, one point, was it $1.5 billion?
2: Yeah, something like, uh, 480 or 90 million per of the three people that won. Wow.
1: So I played it at work, not because I think I could win, but if everybody else won, I didn't want to be the only person still at work. So it's it's an insurance policy more than than anything else, yeah. And I I always joke that you know it'd have to be over a hundred million for me to live off of. But wow, that is an instant billionaire if you would want it one person.
2: Yeah, those are what dreams are.
1: Yeah, and that's what you're really buying. You buy the you buy the right to dream of what you could do with it. Yeah. And I, you know, I would have a dive boat. Yeah, it uh, would be the death. It, I think there might be a side scan. There may be a rebreather. There's going to be a compressor right on the boat. Oh wow! Now now I'm just I'm just uh, drifting off in the la la land. <laughs> uh, and then the final article, boy, we've we've gone quite a bit of time on this. Is the rebreathers divers deserve the the truth about rebreathers? is an article. Does at a T D I S D I dot com? And they, and they talk about, uh, if you're considering a diver, things you need to understand. And we went to, did you attend to that? Uh, I want to say, is that Ford Seahorses?
2: You went to that one. I went to the one up at, uh, okay.
1: And, and they they had the, the guy, it was, uh, I think it was a Dive Right, uh, manufacturer's rep who they sell rebreathers. And the whole point of the program, I don't say the whole point, but, one of the things he was, was talking about is he did the presentation as why you should not buy a rebreather. And he went into it. And that's a little bit what this is. First thing is rebreathers are complex. And then the, the text is not really. While rebreathers are technical pieces of equipment, they operate using the same basic concepts. Replace oxygens that the diver metabolizes. Remove carbon dioxide the diver produces. And repeat as necessary. Each manufacturer is a new way of doing it, but the basic concept is the same. And I really don't think each manufacturer has that unique of a way of doing it. You know, the plastic pieces, the hoses may be slightly different, but you've all got a scrubbing material. You uh, either hand-packed or you buy a cartridge that the, the vendor manufactures and your gas goes through it and it scrubs it out.
2: I, I think really, though, what they meant from that aspect, though, is it's not that the technology is complex. It's, there's a lot of parts and pieces, and you've got to put them together you got to make sure they're clean and you got to pay attention to what you're doing every single time you dive and while you're diving. That's what I think they meant by complex, not. Right. Yeah. It removes oxygen, carbon, you know, carbon dioxide, blah, blah, blah.
1: Well, let's it, face it is, is. Attention is, to detail. Diving is an extreme sport. You're going into an environment you can't live normally. Uh, what's the best free diver? How long can they be underwater? About five minutes? Maybe a little bit more? We're underwater 30 minutes without touching the surface, 50 minutes, an hour. So you're in an environment that doesn't really go well with you. So you have to be careful about that equipment. So rebreathers require a little bit extra maintenance. It's just not a lot, a large volume of air compressed that you breathe off of. It's doing additional things. So it is complex compared to open circuit, but not unreasonably so. A rebreather is only a tool to be used on rare occasions to dive is beyond the capabilities of open circuit. Every successful, I don't say successful, every proficient rebreather diver I know dives the rebreather 90% of the time or more. I think Bob may do five or six dives with us throughout the year in the middle of the summer or maybe river dives where they're a little shallow for how he likes to run his rebreather or if he's having his rebreather worked on. And then I know that sometimes when he's diving with his wife, he'll he'll go open circuit as well. So they're both open circuit. But in general, rebreather divers are diving that rebreather all the time. The the more proficient you get with it, the more you understand it. Plus, it's it's a maintenance item, so you might as well use it. And then another one that they've got in here is rebreathers, is a tool that should be reserved for divers that need them. And I'm going to agree with the article. I think that rebreathers, eventually, if we fast forward 20 years, it may Exceed fifty percent of the divers, or at least that's the manufacturers are hoping for. There's still some technology things that need to advance to that point. I think cost needs to come down a slight bit. I can't see a slight bit. Well, the rebreather in its own will come down. I think a two thousand dollar rebreather, because what's an open circuit? You buy a you buy your you know two tanks, a good regulator, and a dive computer. And I spent over two thousand for that. Now we have to we have ice to contend with, so it's ice ready, but uh rebreather divers, I think they, if you got that down to $2,500, including training, I think that's the kind of the price point rebreathers need to hit, but the cost per dive needs to come down. Your sorb needs to be, and I'd say $20 for a weekend would about do it, wouldn't you say? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what it is now. I think it's probably $50, $60 for a batch of sorb, depending on how you get it and where you get it from.
2: Yeah, you know, if you pack it yourself and you get your package.
1: Now, here's something I've heard a lot of people talk about, you know, five years ago, but I haven't heard it so much recently. It says, your rebreather is trying to kill you. Uh, a lot of instructors were were pitching that because they they called them death machines because they saw what happens when one thing goes wrong or the diver's one mistake and people were dying. Uh, but the new systems is is it's the machine's trying to keep you alive. It's... Uh, improper assembly or poor maintenance that or just being lazy which will do that for you which can happen to open circuit too just rebreather will happen quicker uh, five-minute pre-breathe will validate scrubber performance says this has been a recent hot topic for years divers and trainers believe that conducting a five-minute pre-breathe correctly could detect co2 bypass due to incorrectly assembled malfunctioning unit recent study published by Diving and Hyperbaric Magazine indicates that this is not necessarily accurate. While the study does not in any way recommend the diver does not conduct a pre-breathe, the reasons for doing so and the results for pre-breathing have been redefined a bit. A pre-breathe is part of the diver's pre-dive checklist, essential to verify function of the gas additive system, monitoring system, electronic functions, etc. However, cannot accurately rely on the pre-breathe to evaluate CO2 absorption. The complete study can be read here. Which this is on the tdisdi.com website. Interview with Dr. Simon Mitchell by Pod Diver Radio. So one of our, one of the other podcasts, they have an, uh, something talking about it. Yeah, cause pre, I didn't realize that was pre-diving. I, I always thought it was, it had something to do with making sure that you had everything hooked up right.
2: There, when you, this is an interesting article, but, it's good to read it and then go read all the comments because the guys who are using these all the time identify where they agree and disagree a little bit on what they're saying here. So my point for putting this in here is when they talk about five-minute pre-breathe, if you're not a rebreather diver, you're not going to know what that means. So it's a good item to come and read this and then look at the comments from people who are using it. Uh, a and flush will adequately validate a cell error it's techniques that they've identified that if you're, again, using one, it's how you check to make sure your electronics are working. Right. But by the same token, it talks about, but you always can't do it that way because if you do it this, you sometimes create another error in a different way. And that's one of these, you need to be reviewing it. Uh, the one I, I agree here is checklist for new rebreather divers. I'm so amazing that I have mine memorized. I think the number one item there they're talking about is, like pilot, I have a checklist. I use it every single time. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, do I know it? Could I run it by heart? Probably yes, but I run it every single time because I'd like to go up and I'd like to come back in control. The same here.
1: Well, and the thing about a checklist, especially for something that's important is that, e- is that it's a constant. That checklist is a best practice. Everything on there is something that you should do. And like in the uh, in the case of you flying a plane, you may fly that plane by yourself six times, but then you may in the seventh time have a passenger, and that could be enough to throw you off that even though you've done it a 100 times, you could forget an item.
2: Oh, it's called distraction, and that's the biggest yeah. problem you have is something out of the norm will happen, and that throws off your whole sequence. Yeah. And, and this yeah.
1: happens in other things. So, like, if you're driving down the road and you have a deer almost run in front of you, sometimes the time after that, because you've just, you know, you had an event, you may forget other things or, or you've been thinking about something at work and you realize that you went five miles down the road and you can't remember any of it. So that's a, that's the reason why checklists are good.
2: But, again, if nothing else, we should print this one out, the, uh, the site. So if you're a breather or thinking about it, This is a very good article to read. And then of course, read the comments from the heavy duty people who responded to it.
0: Yeah.
1: See, the the thing, if I had to do, you know, what is my impressions of a rebreather is to be a rebreather diver, you have to dive a lot. If you're diving six dives a year, you're not, I would not recommend a rebreather for you. If you're diving 40 dives a year, I think it could make sense. Uh, I think it really makes sense. And is if you're doing a lot of deeper dives or tri mix dives. Well, I don't think it ever pays for itself. I think it, the economy of scale can be attractive for an active diver doing deep dives. They do need to come down in price, though. I like them. You know, you and uh, you've tried them. I've tried them. Jim Schiltz has tried them.
2: Well, I had the first one I did was in '78. Was a uh... One of the first ones, a Beckman Electrolung, and that's a long time ago. And they were a lot different, meaning the uh, reliability of them than they are nowadays. And I've tried five different varieties up there uh, during the training classes, and they're not all the same. You will like a different one. You know, you just don't buy a kiss because Ralph had it. But key item, right. go try them out, take the classes, see what's in it for you.
0: Yeah.
1: And I like to talk to rebreather divers who have the rebreather and find out why they like them. And you have some, there's a certain percentage of people who whatever they buy because they bought it, they like it. You know, it's kind of a justification. If I spent 10 grand on it, I better like it. So I'm going to try and sell you why mine's best, but to find out the reasons, have them describe what do you like about it? And then talk to somebody else. And then after you get that information, then tie them, try them. We've got coming up here, ghost ships out of milwaukee and they have the rebreather class where you can go into the pool and try a variety um you know jim schultz and i had an opportunity with steve lewis to try a variety of rebreathers out we tried uh either two or three types out and that was interesting to see where they're different you know how your counter lung is positioned what it takes to set up the checklists you know, even costs, uh, fixtures. You know what type of dive are you doing? You're a cave diver, you're a wreck diver, you're a recreational diver, a photographer. I mean, rebreathers are awesome photographers. No bubbles. Everybody who has one talks about how the fish will come right up to you. So, someday I I, I may. Yeah, we'll we'll have to see. Uh, I got I got a couple kids to get through college first. Okay, well that does it for scuba in the news. Now, Mac, you've got some diving in recently. Yeah, we had
2: our normal uh, chilly weather dive, uh, so to speak, and if anybody's checked on the club site, you know, you can see what we've been doing on that, and we actually, I don't think i post posted anything on it uh with pictures, but we call it the thrill of the chill, because that's what the water is right now, pretty chilly, and there's a lot of hard water out there.
1: Now, when you say chilly, have we gotten to 33 degrees yet?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Well, the first one we were diving, uh, the air temperature that day was 41, and that's why we selected Saturday because the next day was 28, and then, then the next day it was 6. So, yeah, it's a little chilly out there. Uh, but right now, since last week, it got cold, it got warm again, cold. Uh, we've got ice in the rivers yeah, and on the shoreline. So, yeah, it's going to be definitely
1: a uh, chilly dive. I, re- I remember my coldest dive ev- ever. It was... 31 degrees in the river. And you're looking at that saying, How is this? How are we not in a block of ice? So either my gauge is off just a slight bit, or the water moving was keeping it from freezing. Are, yeah, now, the water is definitely cooler. Anybody getting any good finds? Um, more
2: last week, everybody was getting used to something different. Uh, Jake was out with his hookah rig uh, in the shallows. Marybeth just wanted to get out there and, and make sure the suit wasn't shrinking any. Uh Dan came out and was practicing because he'd been doing some rescue work with the fire departments and the sheriff's department and just wanted to keep, you know, the more current you are, having gotten wet for dressing in, dressing out, makes you better prepared to be that minute man when you need to be.
1: Well, and it gives you confidence. If you can dive in the river this time of the year, it just gets easier from here on out. Yeah. You know, that 33 to... 31 degrees where it's just not quite hard yet. You get a little bit of ice on the, on the shore. That's about as bad as it gets for river diving without there being a big six inches of ice on it. Um, and it, it's good experience. Um, and it makes a spring. I mean, you, when it gets, when the water temperature gets 40 in March, it's tropical. <laughs>
2: <laughs> not quite tropical, but getting there, getting wet to weather.
1: Yeah. You, you still have to wear the hood. Well, cool. Uh, how's the water clarity been going? Has it been improving at all?
2: Uh, I had lights and stuff, high intensity light. I probably had five foot viz. Uh, a lot of turbidity in the water because the current's pretty fast. The the further you went out, the more you needed weight. Uh, I was playing with a twenty eight pound anchor, keeping me in position. So it's not a fun dive until you go back to the within twenty foot of shore. Then the the current cut down that you didn't need the anchor. To keep you in place
0: Okay
1: Seems to be a good time
0: Oh yeah yeah.
1: yeah I, I I don't know when the next time I'm going to have a dive in As I talked about this with uh, the kids And the robotics I'm pretty much Packed up I'm, I may have to just Schedule something uh, But I need to make sure that everything still works Anymore
2: Well you know those suits have a tendency to sort of shrink If you're not careful Well,
1: I am on a very aggressive diet per my doctor basically said if i didn't do that there was going to be a whole bunch of medication in my future so i have Uh i have i have gone carb free or about as close as you can get to it uh which sucks by the way (laughs) i had i had dreams like you know in the old 50s the the uh not that i was alive in the 50s by the way uh but they had the the clips of the dancing food at the movie theater for intermission to go the popcorn and stuff. Oh, sure. I had, I had that happening in my dreams for like wedding cake and marshmallows and, <laughs> and sugar. I like woke up. I'm like, this is unbelievable. It's like the, the carbohydrates are come, come to me. It was unbelievable. And that went on for like a week. I, it was, I was, I couldn't stand it, but I've, I have purged myself of sugars. And I've lost a little bit of weight. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm only down to where I was a couple of years ago, which is an accomplishment, but you know, that's, that's what's bad. Two years ago, you're like, crap, I'm never going to get that bad. And I got that bad. So I'm on the downward trend, but I've got a long way to go. Uh, exercise and no carbs, which again, sucks.
2: Well, when you go diving with us, you'll just eat what we do, coffee maybe and soup. Cause that's what we've been having after the
1: dives. Soup is okay. I'll, I'll do a little carbs in soup. I I have a lot myself. If a, if a family member is having a birthday, I will have a tiny bit of cake. And I've done pretty good. It, it's a, it's it's. I'm just not losing weight as quick as I would think for as amount of changes I've had. But uh, hopefully that will, will help me a little bit. I need to get diving too. That exercise will help. Especially in the cold
2: water, you burn more.
1: You do burn more. I've heard other people talk about it. I never really burn that much in the cold water. At least I didn't think. I've, I'm kind of like a walrus. I've got that blubber layer that helps.
2: Well, keep going back to the wetsuit. That'll help, uh, turn <laughs> yeah, it uh, off.
1: If I, I, if I wear my old wetsuit, I mean, that's is that is pretty scary looking. I've still uh, yeah. got it a little ventilated. Uh, so this Saturday you're talking about a dive or is it Sunday? Saturday. Saturday. One okay. o'clock, Maramont. One o'clock, Maramont. I'll have to think about it. There's a chance I could. Diverge over that way. I'll have to see what the family's planning.
2: I got I got a note from Jim Schultz saying he's interested. Uh, I haven't talked to Jake and stuff. Be nice to have a couple of people out there. It's possible we might want to have some lines.
1: Yeah, it doesn't hurt if you've got the risk of ice over. Excuse me, over certain spots.
2: Yeah, and definitely the huge inner tube so you can't get pulled under.
1: Yeah, I've. uh I know a lot of people have had the flu, and I've. They had a little bit of draining and coughing the last three or four days. Probably a little too much information, but that kind of makes me not not quite know. Uh, It seems like during the day I'm fine, but when I first wake up, I can tell that I've had a little mucus and it's a little coffee and stuff. So we'll see. Hopefully I can fight it. I got my flu shot this year, so that, that should be a good sign.
2: Never hurts, I don't think.
1: No, I don't think it does let's see any plugs we want to do. We have WRVO Radio, Reno Viola. Thank them for another year of of covering us. Uh I promise we will have a video podcast coming up here. I'm still working out the details. The audio podcast has been kicking my butt. This new computer, I don't know what's going on. I blame part of it to being I need to leave it on more often than it does. The updates are killing me. Um Mug Club Mug Club dot dot com. You can do the you can follow the happenings of the Michigan underwater divers and see what the club has been doing. Start your own club. Uh what else do we have? Do you have anything you want to plug Mac?
2: Well again, uh February is the big month for Great Lakes Shipwreck Festival in Ann Arbor. And it's also the following week after that one is Our World Underwater in Rosemont, Illinois.
1: That's a good one. And drop us a line if you're going to be there. Uh, I mean, if you want to be there and you want to say, hey, meet us, that usually I can go, hey, honey, I got to go because there's people coming who want to see us. Uh, sometimes it it conflicts with other things going on. Let's see. What else do we have? Oh, Scoob Obsessed. You can get to our website, com. The website is only about five months old, and I haven't updated such I – I need to do, I apologize again out there. Somebody asked about the, the article on the, uh, fatal diving out of Australia. If you remember that, that one, we've got to get that link out there. And I'll probably be the first one I do because somebody asked for it. Uh, let's see, Twitter at Scuba Obsessed. Usually once or twice a week, we have some news articles we post, keep, keep you interested in diving. Um, and then also let's do some pitches from some other podcasts. You've got Diver Sync, Rich Sinowick's podcast. Uh, I think that's D-I-V-E-R-S-Y-N-C or just type in Diver Sync and, and Google does a pretty good job of doing it. You've got, uh, Pod Diver Radio. They're still out there. Uh, you know, a little hit and miss, but uh, usually some good quality podcasts. And they have some interviews. And then you've got Scuba Radio, which is another one. And if there's any other podcasts, drop me a line. I'm always interested to listen to others. The only reason we do this is because nobody else was. Uh, and we actually, I think, I think if you have anybody you'd like us to interview, drop us a line at the show at Scoob Obsessed, and we will take a look at them and maybe get them on the show. I need to do some interviews. I like to do about one interview a month at least on people. I've got a few on my short list. Uh, and I didn't I didn't cover it in the news, but maybe we'll do it next week. Steve Lewis and Jill Heinherth and a whole slew of other people have been diving Bell Island again. They're turning that into a diving mecca for. Cave diving and rec, and uh, I don't call it recreational because it's a little bit above that. But if you're a, a cave diver type of person and trying to make that a dive destination, Belle Isle in Canada. So are we ready for that time of the show? I'm, I'm guessing we have to be. We've well- missed a couple of weeks. So I'm, I'm dry. I'm ready for it. Okay. This one's going to be kind of a light one, but, uh, it's, a, it's a joke nonetheless. nonetheless. This is, uh, posted, uh, I think I was copied by, One of our divers will remain nameless. And the post says I'm worried about crime, so I asked a friend of mine in Texas what I needed for my home. He said some nine millimeters, a couple of clips, and a box of shells, which I was able to put together pretty quickly. I'm not quite sure how a nine millimeter wrench, some paper clips, and a box of seashells is gonna do me any good, but I'm hoping it will.
2: That's the most you got around the house. The burglar's going to leave you alone.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you really kind of need the picture to get the understanding of it. But uh, I have an idea. It wasn't quite the nine millimeter he was talking about. Possibly. So, until next time, go out there and get wet, and stay safe. See, I will hit this. Whoops! I got to grab the right mouse button. Ooh, we had St. Louis salmon there for a while. Oh! And I hit stop, and it didn't do anything. It says stop recording failed. Wow! Oh, wow! This is this is like. I I need to go back to bed and start a new week over. <laughs>